Yeah, so I often like to start um, interviews like this with just a bit of background. So yeah, I mean, you sure. are a Sydney guy, so where'd you yeah. grow up? School, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, born and raised in Sydney. Um, went to school. Where were you north? Most, uh, in the west, yeah, sort west, of okay. just over there. Cool. Um, went to school and university here and long story, but uh, essentially went, went to the US as soon as I finished college here. Right. And you were a lawyer? A, I'd studied law, but I never practiced law. Okay. So, um, so I'm a dangerous a client. Pardon? Why did you want to be a lawyer? I never wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just thought it would be, it is interesting, like it's, you know, there's philosophy and theory of justice and all that sort of stuff, um, but it's useful. I mean, I use it every day. Uh, you know, my job is to support companies and you support companies partly by giving them money and you've got to give them money on certain terms, not just on a promise. And yeah. So it, it is useful in sort of negotiating transactions every day, but no, I never wanted to be a lawyer. Not so when you were 16, 17, getting into the last years at school, I mean, why did you choose that then? Ah, uh, well, yeah, because it's useful. And so the reason I chose it, I was sort of a, a funny kid in that I liked doing two things which seemed completely unrelated until one day I realized there's a job that combines the two. One is pulling apart computers and the other is pulling apart financial statements. And I realized there was a job that combined both called venture capital. Um, and that was when I was about 15, 16. And so I wrote, you know, six letters up on my wall, USA MBA, because I thought that's what I had to do to get into venture capital. I got obsessed with this, this firm called DFJ, and I thought that I wanted to work there one day. It turned out to be a completely bogey path for two reasons. Um, one, I never got that MBA, and two, I tried to get a job at DFJ once with Dave here, who's in the audience, and he rejected me. Um, well, they rejected me. He, he wasn't that mean. And then I did actually get one a couple of years later, and then I rejected them to join AngelList. Um, right. And that's, so that's the story from 15 to joining AngelList. Well, let's just talk quickly, because like, to get from uh, graduating uni here to yeah. the US, where it kind of all happened, mm. how did that happen? Who were you working for? Well, in a sense, it was a fluke, but in a sense, it was sort of, you set the intention and it happens. Um, it was a fluke because my friend just called me up one day and said, you know, we need people uh, in New York to help us with some transactions, and that was at Macquarie. Okay. Um, and he happened to call me up, you know, the minute I was finishing college, so I just moved straight over. Right. And that was almost 10 years ago now. Um, in a sense, it wasn't a fluke because, you know, from a relatively young age, I was working on technology companies here, had a few websites in the sort of <laughs> late 90s, yeah. early 2000s. And it was not obvious to me that I could turn that into a full-time job here because I just couldn't. I couldn't see anyone doing that as a full-time job in terms of like family, friends, or just people I met around town. So I just always thought that I had to go to the States to do that if yeah. I wanted to keep doing that. And, and getting a job at Macquarie is not easy, from what I understand, so it, did, it probably helped you go... The standards are probably different than the market was yeah, hot. Everyone says yeah. that. <laughs> but I mean, did, I mean, you got pretty good first from Sydney Uni and Law, so it wasn't... Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of had all the credentials. Yeah, credentials helped. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's another interesting discussion. I'm a mentor for the the Teal Fellows. So Peter Teal a couple of years ago came out and said, "Anyone who's under 20, I'll give you 100k to not go to university." And I mentor some of the the people, not necessarily kids, although some of them are kids, in that program. Um, and there is an interesting discussion about whether or not you should go to university or not. And I've actually, uh, in a very Teal-esque way, uh, taken a fairly contrarian view of that, which is that not many of them should have dropped out of university um, because 
you know, they'll try to start a software company and then walk into a room and try to sell something and then they don't have the credential or they're trying to hire someone and they don't have the credential. So I don't regret going to university for a second um, and I do think that that credential has helped a lot uh, in getting to where I wanted to wanted yeah. to get. And so did you enjoy New York and working for Macquarie there? Not really, right. no. Um, <laughs> because that's all I did. Um, and so I got out of that after about a year. <laughs> Yeah, it was, you know, it was the typical 20 hours a day, uh, you know, got admitted to hospital for exhaustion type situation. Yeah, that's not that um, wasn't, wasn't that great. But a year into that, uh, I sort of realized it was time to go back to starting my own companies again. Okay. And so a few friends and I, I, I met someone in New York. We started a company together. I brought a few people over from Australia to work on that company. Um, and that was in the sort of big data analytics space for marketing and specifically selling to big travel loyalty programs like United Health and whatever else. Um, Peter Thiel funded that company and sat on the board of that, and then 18 months later we sold it. Um, was that Top Guest? Is that the one? That was right. Top Guest, yeah. So it was not around for very long. And we, relevant to Equitize actually, we were one of the very first users of AngelList in 2010. And that's when AngelList was still a mailing list. Right. And so you know, Naval would write up a little paragraph about Top Guest and send it out to this list. And we met a guy called Jeff Clavier on there, who's now a very famous seed investor yeah. and has a firm called SoftTech. And he put in a couple hundred thousand dollars and then a few other people started piling in and then Peter ended up leading the round. And Naval saw this all happening um, in the email traffic and he's like, well, I want to put in 50K or I want to put in a little bit of money. And so he put in a bit of money and that's how I got to know him. Um, and so then when we sold the company, we started chatting about you know, what, what can this angel list thing be? But yeah, the, the top guest thing is interesting because we used an email list version of angel list back in 2010. So how many people were on that? On that email, email list? list? Just a couple of hundred. Right. It was like two, three hundred. And they're all and it was just very curated, very high quality. You know, back then, what was a niche? Seed investors. Now there are six, seven hundred seed funds. Um, and that, yeah, it was just a really small emailing list back then. Email list. And, and so, I mean, how much did you raise with... We were, from that? Uh, two and a bit. And were, yeah. were the terms back then, so if you look at that deal that was yeah. done, and what AngelList, I mean, yeah. was AngelList an entity that was active in that? Uh, no, so AngelList was just a social network, right? It was, was an email list in 2010, 2011, they started building a bit more product, 2010, 2011, yeah. and it was just a social network. You had people, we had a news feed of deals coming through, had people sending each other messages, you could see who was connecting with who and sort of interpolate who's doing a deal with who. Um, but that's all it was. You know, there was no money going through AngelList at all and then the talent part of the business wasn't there either. Right. Um, so that's what it looked like back then. It sounds broadly like Innovation Bay. Maybe I get some ideas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was that? Um, all right, so, uh, I mean, obviously this was a good experience for you. Um, yeah. You got some cash off the table with yeah. Top Guest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Um, and then you decided to join. So talk us through the process of how you decided to, to do that instead of something else. To do to talk to Angelus. Join Angelus. Ah, yeah. That was a really interesting decision point because I was talking to a lot of venture firms and I got offers from some of those venture firms, like traditional Sand Hill Road types. <laughs> and I was thinking about starting another company and I was sort of working on a few prototypes and whatever else. And I could have stayed at the company that acquired us. I stayed there for six months so with integration stuff, but I could have stayed there a little bit longer and that was a good place too. And then Naval just, he put a tweet out one day saying, you know, we're really snowed under at AngelList, can anyone help? And I thought that was a good opportunity to reconnect with him. 
And I'll never forget walking in. Um, the, it was five people, five engineers, uh, and well, four engineers and designer, I think, at the time, and then the two founders. And you walked in, it was a really great atmosphere, and you could just really tell something was happening. Like, every day there was another sign that something was working. There was another company that would get a great introduction to a really high-quality investor, or there'd be like, you know, 20 new companies just find the platform out of nowhere. No one knew them, no one knew how they got there, but they just organically found the platform. There was something happening every day. So I sort of went in intending to help out for a week, and then I stayed for two, and then I stayed for a month, and I was just sort of doing whatever Naval didn't have time to do, um, which was effectively screening companies to make sure that the quality was high on the platform and sort of removing all the bad companies and also investors that we didn't think were very sophisticated. So it was sort of very manual quality control for a month. And it doesn't sound like a glamorous job, and it pretty much wasn't. Um, but I saw that it was... I sort of came out of that month thinking, like, great team, great people. I don't know if this day-to-day is going to be, like, that stimulating. However, there's one thing I can do here that's, like, incredi- an incredibly obvious opportunity, and that is uh, make money. Um, <laughs> because we were seeing all these deals come across the platform and we had nothing to do with any of the transactions that were subsequently consummated. Right. Absolutely nothing to do it. We never touched the money. We never saw the money. The only way we'd find out about it is if they later updated their Angelus profile. So um, what was the model then? How was Naval paying his staff? Venture capital. Yeah. So they raised a bit of money. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, yeah. what, but, right. so it was basically launched without really a business model? Yeah. It didn't really have a business model from the okay. start. I mean, there was always... <laughs> there was the vision, right? Like, it was, it was always going to be this social network for this part of the world. Um, and Naval had had some success before and yeah. he got a great team together and they did build an incredible product but the business model wasn't really in motion yet yeah. um, and I sort of walked in as, as I have had product roles but more on the business side and it was just <laughs> obvious what we had to do um, it was obvious that we had to just sort of run the transaction make that efficient add some value in the transaction process yeah. and we could start you know, getting paid for that so, I mean, I've heard this expression, you know, I've, mm-hmm. I've been close to transactions before and, they, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of friction, especially in that early stage with lots of different yeah. investors, like who's going to lead, who's going to do the due diligence, yep. why, why am I going to do it if you all piggyback off the back of me? So, yeah. essentially, you were the what, WD-40 to <laughs> smooth out this process. I have, I have uh, heard Angelus describe a lot of ways, but not that one. <laughs> That's good. It's sort of true. I mean... The idea of uh, syndicating a transaction is not a new one, right? Like, it goes back to the whaling days, yeah. um, where people would fund expeditions and fund whalers to go out there and get carry. That's where the term carry comes from. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, a little bit of trivia. There's a great book called um, Against the Gods by Peter Bernstein about the history of taking risk. Right. Anyway, that's the start of it. Um, What's well, yeah, anyway, it starts with number <laughs> theory and then it goes into that. Highly recommended. Cool. But so syndicating is not a, a new idea. I mean, it's essentially about co- disseminating information about an opportunity to make money and then coordinating the whole transaction around that, like getting everyone to trust everyone through legal instruments or otherwise. Um, and it turns out that like disseminating information and coordinating transactions are two things that, are, that the internet does really well. Um, and there was just never a, a marketplace for this. Um, and that was that was sort of odd, um, and yeah, it, it, it was just sort of an obvious opportunity at that point. So, for, I mean, just talk us through the process then. So, from the, the mm. point when you joined, when they were just mm. a sort of loose mailing list, getting mm. people together, to when mm. you started making money mm. from it, like what, mm. 
what operationally changed so yeah a lot right. um, that's a really good question so you know when I came in there were some engineers and designers and founders uh, and the way we started was um, with product so we built obviously I can't take credit for all of this I just sort of led the process um, we built a product to allow people to invest money online so it was taking all the friction out it was you know automate like making it uh, structured the way that you indicate your interest the way that it's clear what the threshold is for actually getting the deal done signing legal documents sending money all that sort of stuff so a lot of it was just product work at the start um, and then we had to do all the funds management work which is the boring stuff but is actually like where a lot of the competitive advantage is in AngelList which is basically creating an engine. We did this in Utah, actually, that just spins up special purpose vehicles, and now they're managing 1,600 of them. And they do all the tax, accounting, legal, compliance, whatever else, at a very, very low cost, and they run these entities for up to 10 years. So it was product management, it was funds management, and then it was just basic business development. It was sort of convincing people this is the better way to go. You know, going out to angel groups like, you know, the US, the, the version of Innovation Bay over there, so going out to, like, Kuretsu and all these angel groups, and saying like, look, the way you do it today is like a lot of email back and forth and Dropbox and whatever else, and this is what we've got and just demoing it to them and getting them interested in yeah. it. Um, so those were the three parts and it was sort of split equally. The first year was a lot of product, the second year was a lot of funds work, and the third year was a lot of business development. Um, and so it took time. Yeah. And you know, all the while we were waiting for some regulations to pass. <laughs> so, but why Utah? I mean, like, the- uh, Utah, that w- I mean, essentially, there are a lot of really well-trained lawyers and accountants okay. there, so it's not and they don't charge as much as the Bay Area. No, it's not, it wasn't about state regulations being different. No, I mean, because it was a—it's a federal thing regulated by the SEC. Yeah. And the, so the terms and the law, the legals, and you know, the documentation yeah. that everyone was going through—none of that was standard, or was it? Yeah, this is a good question. So, Angelist has tried multiple times to standardise the terms of an investment because if you think about it, like, if you think about stock exchange or uh, a better example is probably derivatives exchange. A lot of the, the terms are standardized, and so you can have very high volume transactions going on. And Angelist has always tried to do that in early stage. Like everyone does a convertible note or a safe or whatever with these terms, and there's no sort of negotiation on a deal by deal basis about participating preferred this and this like different liquidation preference or whatever else. We've tried multiple times to standardize the terms, and that hasn't really worked. Um, for a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, people just, turns out, like deal structuring. And we just always believed at AngelList the innovation's not in deal structuring. The, informa- the innovation or the, the surplus you create in this market is not by structuring deals in a better way. It's by helping people make better investment decisions by giving them better information. So that was always a belief, but it just never worked. Um, however, we did, eventually, we did, I think, have an impact on the market in that by exposing the terms of all the deals on the platform to investors, people sort of had a better idea of what the norms were and it just sort of became a law of large numbers things where people converged on a more standard set of terms. So to this day, we still haven't achieved the goal of like fully standardizing terms of early stage investments, but we have come closer to it. The variance is smaller than it used to be. So let me ask a different question. So has the average cost from a legal compliance deal, you know, the cost of a deal, yeah. has that reduced? Massively. Right, so can yeah. you give us a context? As yeah, to so that went, the first time I was sort of going around asking firms if they could spin up these SPVs to do these deals on Angelus to run these syndicates, the quotes were like 45, 55 grand. Right. Um, that's closer to five grand now. 
And so that's for 10 years for everything, for legal compliance, tax accounting, whatever else. But that's just one part of the deal. I mean, the, the, you yeah. know, you've got... You've got lawyers and all that sort of stuff. I mean, yeah. And it's because this has become less frictiony? Yeah, word, I think so. Well? I mean, when I was doing early stage fundraising in the Valley, like, or, you know, if you were doing this, say, 10 years ago, um, you know, you couldn't really get away with a round for less than 30 grand, and now some lawyers will do it for five or 10. So okay. the sort of normalization, not standardization, but the normalization of terms has reduced costs. Yeah. You know, Y Combinator's done some good stuff by inventing a few in, an instrument here called SAFE, which is arguably good and bad, but it's certainly normalized things as well. Yeah. And then AngelList has sort of reduced the cost of getting syndicates of investors together. Yeah. Um, and so what, you know, in totality would have cost you, or in aggregate would have cost you 50 to 100 grand five, 10 years ago, now can cost you, you know, maybe 10 to 20. Yeah, um, that's huge. So that, I mean, that, that is big. Just yeah, it is big. And it, it just, it makes it at all possible, right? Yeah. Like, because if you're raising a million dollars, the idea of, and you want to raise it from a group of angels, the idea of spending that much money to do it, there's no point in, it's like 10% transaction yeah. costs. Why, why would you even raise it around? And as an investor, you should always be thinking about transaction yeah. costs um, yeah. because you're in the hole from day one. Um, whereas if that number's 10 grand, then it's sort of negligible. Yeah. So but can you just talk us through the model now? So mm -hmm. on a startup, a company, mm -hmm. angel list, mm -hmm. put it on there, mm -hmm. deals transacted. So talk us through the process mm -hmm. and how angel list takes a clip or makes money. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the process is, you know, usually it's all through a, a, a lead. So someone decides, finds a company, likes a company, does their research, decides to put some of their own money into it, has so they have a bit of skin in the game. And then they bring it to AngelList and present uh, the thesis to AngelList of why they want to invest and what the terms are going to be and how much they're investing. And that's reviewed by a, a deal team at AngelList, which is a bunch of analysts. Um, and they're just checking quality and checking that there are no weird terms and sort of basic compliance checks yeah. and whatever else. And then it gets put on the platform, it gets launched, and everyone comes in. Um, it can either be, you know, most of the deals at AngelList now are private, you know, probably 80%. Um, it's around that number. And so you either, private, you have to sign up to be part of that syndicate. Yeah, or well, you even have to get invited into okay. it. And so that's sort of the funny thing. All the best deals in AngelList, you probably, most of us wouldn't even know about. Right. Um, so for example, last year, like Cruise and Dollar Shave Club, both billion dollar exits, they were both on AngelList. Right. One of them was on there twice. Right. Um, but anyway, so you submit the deal, people come in, and usually in a matter of one or two days, all the money comes in, docs are signed, gets sent away, and... It all sort of happens through product. After that initial review, it's all very, very streamlined through yeah. product. Um, AngelList makes money, so they cover costs of all the setup fees and whatever else, and they they just get five percent carry. So the lead investor will charge whatever they want to charge and carry, usually fifteen percent, maybe yeah. twenty, and then AngelList gets five percent carry on that as on well. On top of that, or on top of that, yeah. So there's, I mean, really, there's no. I mean, it's cash covering the fees to come in? Or it's just it covering the fees, but it's not covering the cost of running the company. Right, so covering the fees is what, like a few, few grand? A few grand, yeah. Right, yeah. Right, so it's a highly efficient way of doing it. So for the startups, yeah. so it's just you're in, you list it, you get yeah. someone who knows what they're doing, and you. Yeah, get and these things happen in a matter of hours sometimes, and you know, other times in a matter of days. Yeah, so I mean, there's a couple of relatively well known, I wouldn't say famous, but Jason mm. Calacanis or yeah. Kevin Rose. Yeah. Wilson, who else there's, on there? There's a, there's a heap, Tim Ferriss, like a lot of people. Ash Fontana. He's yeah, famous. I've syndicated some deals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, so when, quality. Uh, I mean, Cal Cash wrote about he, as an individual investor, can basically leverage up to lead yeah. a, what is in essence a Series A round. Yeah, it's absolutely. A dude putting in some cash. So, just talk us through that and the impact that might have. On yeah, I mean, people, having- people like um, like Jason, like Tim Ferriss, they've gone in and led big rounds, like with multi-million dollar checks, um, without doing all the things they would have had to do to do that years ago right which would have been go and spend a year talking to LPs and raising a VC fund and building up a staff and doing all those things you have to do to raise capital um, enough capital to lead deals and so they are leading deals Um, absolutely and then there's also these interesting networks of syndicates so Gil Pincino runs many many syndicates on AngelList and he said well if AngelList is like the new stock exchange I want to be the fidelity and he wants to manage lots of little mutual fund type uh, syndicates that invest in multiple deals. So he has an enterprise one, a security one, an Israel-focused one. He's got a whole bunch of them. Um, so people have sort of taken it in lots of different directions um, with sort of these very basic primitives of syndicating a deal. People have done it, have created syndicates that do lots of different things and then funds of funds on syndicates. All right, so give it, maybe just give us a, an overview as to how, how it's mm-hmm. doing. You know, so any stats that you can share around yeah. your investors, deals done, money raised, etc. Yeah. Um, so they're just about to release a, a, a updated stats, and I, I can't say what they are. Um, but we won't tell the first the first vintage uh, is doing really well. You know, it's uh, I think it's it's definitely top quartile according to Cambridge um, Associates, which sort of tracks the whole industry. Uh, 43% IRR, I think, um, you know, 3x net. This is on a 2013 vintage, right? So this is these are not very old companies in the startup world. You sort of typically wait 10 years to fully assess the value of a certain vintage. Yeah. Um, but it's already doing really well in terms of performance. In terms of volume... Yeah, sorry, um, the thing on that, I found the 2015 number, so it's oh, 46% yeah. uh, unrealized returns yeah. and 2.4 unrealized multiple. Yeah. So it's hopefully better than yeah. that. So. Yeah, yeah. And they'll, they'll release next year's uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Um, and then volume, I mean, when I got there, it was zero. We hadn't taken a dollar through AngelList, and um, now it's well over half a billion, uh, and there's, there's quite a lot more coming. So how many individuals would have participated? That's a good question. I don't have that latest stat, but it's you know, in the tens of thousands um, so, in terms of invested right. through AngelList. And some are just invested. I mean, what's the minimum? Is there a minimum investment? Uh, it depends on the deal, but it's one thousand okay. on most deals. On so a lot basically, of deals. I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier. We, we, hmm. You're democratizing, or Angelus is democratizing access to. Yeah, deals. I think so. Um, as I said, I mean, these huge, huge outcomes like Cruise and Dollar Shave Club. There are people in there that are like individual investors that are investing some of their savings. Uh, you know, they may be professionals, they may be doctors, <laughs> they may be lawyers, they may be finance people. Um, and they're sitting there doing their research at home at night, finding these companies and earning their way into syndicates um, by either being helpful or just being being consistent in their investment strategy and getting into these amazing deals. I mean, you know, you compare this to the early 90s on San Hill Road, there were five firms that got into those sorts of deals. I mean, the market was smaller. There were less yeah. outcomes like that. But um, I think I think it's safe to say at this point that, that, that it has democratized access to early stage investment opportunities which is important because you know companies are going public a lot later now and the value creation post IPO is not as high as it used to be like you compare the value 
you compare the increase in value of companies like Microsoft and Amazon from IPO to now to companies like Facebook from IPO to now. Um, and the reason I say from IPO to now is because the IPO is when like retail investors can get in. And it's an order of magnitude difference. It's like a 20x difference. And so retail investors, if they can't get access to private early stage opportunities or earlier stage opportunities, there's just no opportunity for them to make money. So if I was a VC, should I be worried? I mean, is this a threat or an mm -hmm. opportunity? For them? Well, I'm a VC. Okay. So, um, so here's the thing. Um, I think it's going to put bad VCs out of business and keep good VCs in business. Um, so, you know, there's a class of VCs that are good at raising money, but not necessarily helpful to companies. And um, they stay in business for a long time because they raise these 10-year funds and whatever else. Uh, you know... If there's a syndicate lead running deals on AngelList and being really helpful to companies, they're going to win deals against those sorts of VCs that aren't helpful to companies, fairly obviously. Um, the reason I don't think it's actually competitive to good VCs at the end of the day is because AngelList is a platform and VC is a service business. And I, I certainly view my role um, as, a, as an early stage investor as a service provider. Like I am there for the companies to help them with very a set of things, you know, whether it's to help them interview people, to help them develop their strategy, to help them, you know, raise more money, get acquired, whatever it is. That's my job. And it's a it's a shoe leather business. I've got to get out there and meet them and sit with them and help them and be on the phone when they want to call me at whatever hour of the day and, and I sit on their board and whatever else. Like it's it's not a glamorous business and it doesn't scale. It really doesn't scale. I don't believe it that good venture capital scales. Um and that's something that is not going to be done by a technology company, right? And it's not going to be done by a platform. What will be done by a platform very well is things like syndication and managing the investment process and maybe managing all the back office stuff of a VC. I mean, I'd love to hand off my back office stuff to AngelList one day. Um, and it's getting to the point where I probably can reasonably soon. Um, so the platform can do that and the platform can do other, thing, other things. So... It can help with you know um, finding customers and finding uh, finding talent and doing all these other things that AngelList is starting to do as well. So yeah. I don't think it's competitive with VC because I think VC is a non-scalable service business. Yeah, and, and a lot of a lot of firms will disagree, right? Like there are firms out there like Andreessen and First Round Capital that are trying to turn their venture capital firms into platforms, and I think that's an overrated strategy um, because. For a number of reasons. One, AngelList is going to be better at that because they can scale better. Um, two, your companies have got to learn how to do these things themselves. Yeah. And three, it's really expensive. Yeah, and you, you have giant funds to... You have giant funds staff. to run these services yeah. and whatever else. But you know, perhaps that's a separate discussion. But I think, I think a lot of people view those platforms very positively. And I, I don't because I see what AngelList could do or what, what, what a crowdfunding platform could do in general. So you touched on it there. You are a VC now, so you're mm -hmm. obviously onto the... You've achieved your, your goal when you were 15, so congrats on that. Uh, but, I mean, you had a great job at AngelList, it sounded yeah, like, going well. Why did you was going to, great. Uh, to, to launch your own fund? Just yeah, AngelList was going great. I had no intention of leaving at all. Right. Um, but yeah, AngelList got a lot of exposure in the ecosystem, so people start talking to you, and those conversations turn into asks over time and whatever else. So I just, I just randomly started talking to funds in, uh, in 2014. Um, for me, it's sort of it's it's not necessarily an interesting answer for an audience, but it was just a personal style preference, right? Like if you think about 
public market investors, you've got like the day traders, the people that are very quant focused, that are in and out in a day. Um, and then you've got the deep value investors that maybe make one or two decisions a year, put a lot of research into them and hold those, hold those stocks for a long time. And I think if you sort of transpose that spectrum to the early stage world, on the one side, you've got AngelList um, or someone working at AngelList who is managing lots of deals. I was managing 250, well, yeah, about 250 deals by the time I left. It was like very, very high velocity. I was running the investment committee. We were making one to five investment decisions per day. Um, it was a very high velocity model. And then, you know, what I do now is very different. I'll make a couple of decisions a year and I form very deep partnerships and very deep bonds with the companies that we do partner with and sit on their board and whatever else. And for me, that's more my style. Um, that's just how I think, that's how I work, that's what I prefer to do. So, you know, AngelList was incredible, it was an incredible journey and it was, I got to work with really, really good people there and very good product people in particular. Um, but if you're sort of thinking about what you're going to do forever, you've got to do something that's true to you and that was true to me. And just let's ask you quickly about that. It's, all, it's mm. called Zeta. Yeah. How big's the fund? Who are you investing in? Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, so it is called Zeta. Uh, it's called Zeta because we started the fund in the first year in which a zettabyte of data went across the internet, which is 2013. Okay. Um, and we focus on companies building a competitive advantage through data and then compounding that advantage by building intelligent systems on top of that or self-learning algorithms. So. To use buzzwords and to make it really simple, it's machine learning for the enterprise, or vertical machine learning is what we do. And we were the first fund in the world completely focused on that. Now everyone says they do that, and that is what it is. Um, but we started doing that uh, then, and so they're the sort of companies we invest in. Um, the first fund was 60 million, the second fund's 100. Um, and the first fund was my partner, Mark and I, and now we've added uh, another partner, Jocelyn. And, and so, uh, let me get this right, 1,000 Zetas are Yota, so have you? One to 21. Right. So 10 to 21. 21 zeros. But those yeah. zeros. So is there next one your time? Is it sh yeah, should, maybe. Should we, should probably, we should probably change our, yeah. <laughs> should probably change our name at some point. Uh, I think we're a fair way off. All right, so let's jump back to um, the syndicate question. So I remember chatting yeah. to, to Nikki S. Beck yeah. from Blackbird Startmate yeah. mm -hmm. uh, a little while ago. And he, he said to me, you know, I was asking him about Innovation Bay and what we're going to do with it. Yeah. And he said, the angel list of Australia is angel list. Now, so yeah. I wasn't sure what he meant by that, but <laughs> I think he was assuming that angel list was going to sort of dominate all in front of it and just roll forward. But I think it's more complicated than that. So do you want to touch on that? What do you think and yeah. what will happen? So I used to think that too. I used to think the angel list of Australia would be angel list. Um, I don't think Chris would have invited you by the way. Yeah, well, I've yeah. changed my mind. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, and I used to think that because, you know, capital is, is, is fungible, it's mobile. Like, why should there be um, different... Why should a, a national barrier be a barrier for capital movement? Um, we've sort of seen over the last hundred years that that doesn't have to be the case in a lot of markets. So I used to think that the Angelists of Australia should be Angelists, but, you know, the reality is regulations are so completely different. Um, I don't really think that's true anymore. Um, the other reason it's not true is because if you think of where AngelList is going, the way to think about AngelList in the long run is not as a crowdfunding platform. You know, I think, I'll just speak for myself, but I think really where AngelList is going to be in five or ten years, it's going to be a better LinkedIn, uh, which is not hard, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, they've got a good product team, so it wouldn't be that hard. But it's... Uh, so I think that's where it's going to go. It's, it's sort of like a, a network of people involved in technology 
and built on top of this network, you've got the funding stuff, you've got the talent stuff, you've maybe got some some module to find real estate, to find customers, whatever else. Um, so yeah, I think there are two reasons why I don't believe that anymore. One is that AngelList is probably going to go for sort of a broader broader play, and two, regulations and preferences are so different between countries that yeah. um, I think you need a specialized platform in each geography or in each market. All right, so that's going to segue into talking about regulation. Yeah. Um, so I remember you saying before, so that when AngelList started, the US hadn't really rolled out their no. crowdfunding regulations. And I think that's mm. now come in. It has, yeah. So, Title III has come in, yeah. But you were able to, to get up and running and mm-hmm. basically model your way through. So mm-hmm. can you draw some analogies between that and what's happening in Australia? Yeah, it's really interesting. I was thinking about this last night. We built syndicates at AngelList because we were waiting for these crowdfunding laws to pass and you know, we were like, how can we, how can we scale this up without doing full-blown, like, to the public crowdfunding? Um, and we are really restricted, and so we, we came up with this syndicate idea, like, distributed venture capital. Um, and it turned out in the end that the syndicate's idea was better than what crowdfunding could ever be. And when the crowdfunding legislation came out, they sort of spun out this company from Angelus called Republic, which does, like, the full public Title III crowdfunding. Um, but the business that's doing really well is the syndicate's business, um, which was built before the crowdfunding stuff came through. Because, because we were limited, we were just forced to make the product really good, make the quality of deals really high. Um, and it's been funny to see Equitize do the same thing, actually, in that like, we're sort of waiting for the crowdfunding laws to pass. Equitize is waiting for the crowdfunding laws to pass and is, has been forced to think of sort of better and different ways to do things and has come up with syndicates, um, which... And, and, the, and syndicates led by high quality leads. We didn't come up with that. Matt, well, maybe you didn't come up with that. Maybe we did. But, um, but as, as, uh, yeah, I, I think it's actually a good thing. Um, and I think it's a good thing that this, is, this has taken its time in a way. I mean, maybe too long, but you know, there's a lot to consider when you're considering opening up a, a new type of investment to the public. Um, and you've got to get it right because if people lose money on day one, it's dead in the water. Um, you've got to get it right and you've, you've you know both got to get the regulations the regulations right and you've got to get the businesses right like show me the fintech business that grows the fastest and I'll show you the one that's going to fail first um, fintech and you may, when you're handling people's money you're in the business of like managing and pricing risk in a very complex environment the economy and you've got to be very very careful and think at every single stage about you know, who's participating here, how can we protect them um, on both sides of the market, investors and companies, how can we manage risk through legal, through product, through disclosures, through everything. And being forced to grow pretty slowly at the beginning, I think is a really good thing in, in this business. It's frustrating, for sure. I went through lots of frustration with what was happening in the US, but I think it's a good thing. And it was, I can say at least, it was fundamentally a good thing for AngelList. Can I just do a tone check? Yeah, wrap up. Yeah. Any probably a few questions. Yeah, let's switch to questions. I, I mean, I could stay here up all night and uh, to this guy. He's awesome. Uh, any questions from the floor? Uh, yeah, one here. Are we going to go, Mike's? Chris, go on. There we go. Um, you talked earlier about the um, filtering or the curation of the mm-hmm. deals and mm-hmm. the investments. Mm-hmm. Uh, how important do you think? How how critical was that in the success? Well, uh, we don't know what the null was there because we didn't not do it. Um, 
but I would say it was incredibly important. Um, and we did a lot. I mean, we were on both sides, on the investor side, you know, asking a lot of questions, getting investors to run through tests, see how sophisticated they were, getting them to upload asset reports, all that sort of stuff. There was a lot that we did there. And then on the company side, it was a lot of manual review. We built algorithms to sort of um, compare the traction of companies, to compare the strength of the network of companies, whatever else. Um, just sort of keying off what I was just saying about growing slowly, I think it was really important. We discovered a lot, right? Like we discovered what sort of investors do and don't know about what it means to get involved in early stage companies and like that you you, you will lose money, um, that you can't just go and sue the companies for that money because they don't exist anymore. Um, like you learn what, what sort of investors get that and what don't and 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 on and fundamentally people made money out of angelists right and that's why they kept coming back and that's why the investor community kept growing because you know in our first year we did like 10 million dollars of deals we did very very few deals and then our second year we did a bit more and our third year and sort of increased like 50 to 100 percent per year um and now it's at the point where you know angelists could be doing billions of dollars of deals a year and it still restricts it to, to keep the quality up but I think the numbers show that it was important. Um, and certainly on the ground, we were learning every day about something that we had to block or like get around in the future. Should we take one more? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ren, uh, you guys collaborated on your question. <laughs> I read the news about a Chinese fund called CSC. Yep. And they're sitting just on Angelis, mm-hmm. co-investing in all the deals. Mm-hmm. Can you give us a little bit more insight into that operations, and do you think that it will happen more and more? Yeah. So CSC was a fund, uh, China Science and Merchants Capital, that put about $400 million into AngelList, and there's lots of other ways, um, lots of directions that can go in future. Um, it was sort of always the intention of AngelList that anyone could come in and run a venture capital fund on top of AngelList, essentially by backing syndicate leads and you know investing at scale. Um, and so how it works is, you know, we started doing this ourselves. I raised a little fund for AngelList, a $10 million fund is the very first version of this. Um, a guy called Dustin raised a fund called Maiden Lane for $25 million. That was the second version. And then CSC was the third version of this with $400 million. And in the process of doing versions one and two, we developed all these tools which sort of get the huge um, the fire hose of companies from AngelList, filter them all based on the preferences of the fund that's operating on top of it, send it out to an investment committee, they can comment on it, they can vote on it, up, down, whatever else. And when a deal gets a sufficient amount of votes according to the policy that they code in, then the investment is just made. Bank uh, transfers, legal docs, everything all just gets done. So it's... Um, it's like a very automated, very efficient, like can be high velocity way of doing venture capital. Um, and we developed those systems internally first and tested them for quite a while, for about two, two, two and a bit years, I think. And then CSC saw this happening and came in. And I think you're going to see a lot more funds like CSC just raise dedicated funds to, to invest through AngelList in this way, set up their own policies and whatever else, set up their investment committees and just do it all online. You know, and they're committing to like, you know, many deals per day that way all right well i think we're out of time yeah, uh, from a course. personal point of view that was awesome it was uh, yeah, I could up here all night talking thanks. to you yeah uh, I, I do interview quite a few people and most of them make me feel ina- inadequate but you have made me feel more inadequate than most uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, thank you uh, uh, I, I, are you 30 yet i've just turned 30 okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So everyone, thank you very much to, to Ash. Thanks.